everybody? What's up? Hey, Dave. Hey, as David was saying, it's been a, it's, we've kind of come to the end of the semester in some ways with, with Thanksgiving break. It has been a long and winding and strange semester, hopefully one of the stranger ones we ever encountered. There was actually, there was a point in time where it was kind of just like two or three of us in the room all, all by ourselves, and, uh, and then here we are tonight. And so we are finishing up a series. If you're new and maybe this is one of your first times, we've been going through the Gospel of John this semester in a series called Conversations with Jesus, where we've been just looking at these life-changing conversations that he's had with people. And again and again, as he's talked to them, we've been finding that he's actually been talking to us, right? And that's what we, we do here at Salt Company every week is we open up the Bible. Hang on, sorry. We'll see how that goes. I might need to do the hand mic. But, oh, let me get the hand mic. All right, so as I was saying, at Salt Company, if you're new, the thing that we basically do every week, right, is we open up the Bible and we really believe that it's God speaking to us, okay? And so tonight, we're ending the series in the Gospel of John. We're ending the series. We started back in September, and it's really going to end in the same way that it started if you were here back then. It's going to end with this radical call from Jesus where he just looks us right in the eye and he says, here I am, follow me. Follow me. That's what he said in chapter one at the outset of this series. And that's what he's going to say to us again tonight. And so right at the beginning, I just want to ask you, like, how have you responded to that call? Okay, maybe you're here tonight and this semester Jesus has been brand new to you, right? You're intrigued by him, but you haven't quite started walking with him yet. You're kind of still sitting and watching. Maybe for you, Jesus is still kind of a cliche. Like you've heard some of the stories before. And honestly, you're here a little bit just going through the motions. Maybe for some of you, this has been a semester where Jesus, like you've actually seen him in a new light. He isn't quite who you thought he was. You thought he was just like a nice guy or he was this great philosopher with some different ideas. And actually this semester has been about you wrestling and examining him. Maybe for some of you, Jesus is like the one that you follow, but he isn't necessarily the Lord and you're not really walking with him or talking with him in the way that you actually see these stories playing out, like there's just a lap of depth or a lack of intensity. And maybe some of you, I hope a lot of us, you've actually been captivated by what you've seen in Jesus this semester and you want to follow him, right? But like there's this, this step in front of you, you're trying to figure out if you have the courage to take it, okay? And John told us in chapter 20 last week, he gave us kind of the purpose for his gospel. He said, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the point of the whole book. So do you want life? That's the question. Do you wanna really live or do you just wanna survive? Do you just want to exist? Do you want this life that John's been holding out to us? Because now's the time to take it, right? Now's the time to take hold of it. In college, like you're beginning to set a trajectory. You're beginning to get a vision, make commitments that will determine the course of your life and potentially impact this whole world. Okay, and that trajectory that you set in college, it's actually gonna come from whatever most grips your heart while you're here. 
In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul, he says we need to take hold of that which is truly life. That's what John's holding out to us. There's a lot of stories from church history that will move you if you'll read them. There's one about these two missionaries back in the 1700s over in Europe. They were missionaries to uh, the West Indies where there were actually a lot of people from Africa that had been enslaved. And they wanted to go to this place and bring the gospel to them. And these were a couple of guys that they took hold of the life that is really life. Here's just like a little bit of their story from um, a biography of them. It says, the ocean was blue and the sapphire sky met on the line of the distant horizon as the ship was ready to set sail from Copenhagen. So you see this, this dock, this ship, this beautiful sunset, they're about to set sail. It says, it was October 8th, 1732, Johann Leonard Dober and David Nietzschemann, the first Moravian missionaries sent by Nicholas Zinzendorf, they commenced their two-month voyage to the West Indies. They stood on deck as the families there were weeping. Many questioned the wisdom of their missionary task. The two young men might never return. Still, they were willing to sell themselves into slavery if it was only to reach the slaves on that island. And as the ship set sail, the gap it widened between the land and the sea and the people, they curled around the posts on the pier and the young men, they linked arms. So this is right as the boat was taking away. You see these two young men, they're linking arms and it says, they gazed back at their well-wishers. They lifted up their hands as if in a sacred pledge and they called out to their friends on the shore. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And then they sailed off never to return again. These are two young men, two young people that they found a compelling reason to live, a passion worth dying for. They found the life that is really life, or as John has been calling in his gospel, the abundant life, the life that is found in the name of Jesus. My question for you is have you, have you found that life? So tonight it's just gonna be really simple, right? We're gonna open up to John chapter 21 we're gonna look at Jesus's final conversation with one of his disciples, Peter. And we're gonna see why all of us, every single one of us in this room, we should follow this man, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. And I make no apology for being kind of just upfront and direct about that. That is, that is John's intentions for us, okay? So let's start reading it. John chapter 21, starting in verse one. So it says, after this, Jesus, he revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberia. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Okay, so Jesus, he has, it says after this, right? He has died on the cross, he's risen from the dead. And you'd expect, right, that his disciples, they'd be pretty jacked about this. They'd be pretty excited. They'd be getting together like we see them here to dream, you know, about the future of the kingdom of God. But look what they're actually doing instead in verse three. It says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll go with you. So Jesus has risen from the dead and they're going fishing. Why are they doing this? Okay, they're doing this 
because Peter, he actually used to be a fisherman. If you remember way back at the beginning of this and you see it in the other gospel accounts, Peter used to be a fisherman and what he's actually doing is he's going back to his old way of life because he has actually just failed as a disciple of Jesus. We didn't do an in-depth teaching on this part, but back in John 18, Jesus, he was alive still, but then he was led to his death in part because of his closest friends and followers, his disciples. They didn't stand up for him in his arrest. Peter, the leader, the brave one, when the initial arrest happens, he actually kind of fights back, but then he shirks back while Jesus is on trial. And while it's happening, we see that Jesus turns out to be, or Peter turns out to be a coward and he denies Jesus. It's this famous denial where he denies him three times and that he would even know him for fear of being associated with Jesus. And there's this moment in John chapter 18 where it just says, now Simon Peter, he's standing and he's warming himself by the charcoal fire because it was cold. And it says, they said to him, these people that were standing by while the trial was happening, you are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Okay, so it's this picture of, of, of Peter basically choosing his comfort over Christ. He's cold and he's warming himself by the fire and the comfort of this fire over the discomfort of suffering with Jesus, his friend and his Lord. And honestly, this picture of Peter really gives us a picture of ourselves because we've all failed just like him. You know, we so commonly we choose the comfort of this world over the cost of following Jesus. He's a part of our life when it's convenient and helpful for us, but when it starts to get uncomfortable, we tend to, to not wanna go any further, right? Like we love to read about God being our provider in the Bible, but then when Jesus starts talking to us about our money and being generous, it gets uncomfortable, right? It would cost us too much with our friends if we were to let go of some of those sins that we love to do together. It would cost us too much with our family if we were to start making future decisions based on the kingdom of God rather than the American dream. It would cost us too much in our pride to admit that we don't have it all together, right? And we need help. And so we hover just kind of at the comfortable edge of Christian community, never letting people really know us. When we get to that point where it's uncomfortable, we don't wanna go any further, right? And sometimes the comfort of following Jesus, it crosses a line into discomfort and like Peter, we deny him. But if you're a Christian, here's the interesting thing, like Peter, if you're really a Christian, it actually bothers you a little bit. Like you start to feel this tension. You know, even though it might be comfortable for you to do your own thing sexually or to, to keep doing your own thing with your career ambition, there's something about it that starts to feel a tension within you. It starts to feel uncomfortable. And if you look at verse three, they go out fishing, right? And it says, they went out and they got into the boat that night and they caught nothing. If you really start to follow Christ, you quickly start to realize that doing life without him, it just kind of doesn't work anymore. It doesn't sit right with you. But Peter, he hasn't returned fishing because he doesn't want to follow Jesus anymore. He's actually returned to fishing because he's failed as a follower of Jesus. And he's too guilty and ashamed to represent the name of Jesus now. I wonder if any of you have ever felt like that after you've sinned just felt like a failure. You've denied Jesus. You wake up one Sunday morning after a Saturday night and you feel like such a fake and you have that just thought of like, what's the point of even coming to church? And let me tell you something about that moment. 
that moment that you've had, that moment that you're going to have, because you're going to have many of those moments in your life, you will fail him. That's not the question. The question is, how will you respond when you fail? And then even more than that, how does he respond to you when you fail? Pick it up in in verse 4. Look what happens next. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus, he stood there on the shore, yet the disciples, they did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now that disciple whom Jesus loved, if you just pause there, if you've noticed, John wrote this gospel that he's talking about himself and he, it's just kind of weird that he always puts this in there. He's like, now the, the one of us that he really loved, this is what he did. So that's John talking about himself. He says, he therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped from work and he threw himself into the sea and the other disciples, they came out into the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land. They were about a hundred yards off. And so as Jesus, he stands out there on the shore, he looks out to his friends that he had just died for, his friends that had abandoned to him. How much, what do you think he feels about them? As he's standing at the shore, just looking out at them. This is actually a moment just like at the beginning of the gospels. You see this in Matthew chapter four, when he originally called Peter while he was fishing. What Jesus is basically doing here is he's recreating the moment when he first met Peter. It's very intentional what he's doing. He's pursuing him. He's saying, Peter, I want you back. How does Jesus feel as he looks out at his disciples, as he looks out at Peter? Jesus' heart is filled with desire for them. He says, I want you back. Verse 9, it says, when they got out on the land, they saw that a charcoal fire was in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And so Simon Peter, he went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. That's a really specific number, 153, right? So just again, I want to make this, this point to you that these are not made up legends. These are not things that somebody just kind of concocted. This document is not propaganda. This is historical reporting, very specific. There were some eyewitnesses there. John was one of them. He counted the fish. He said there was 153. This was a biography of a real man named Jesus who really did these things. And it says, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, this is amazing, come and have breakfast. So now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So to take a step back, it says this is the way that Jesus is intentionally choosing to reveal himself to his disciples and to us tonight. This is how Jesus treats sinners and failures. The intentional way that he wants to reveal himself. What does he do? He makes them breakfast. You ask the question, how does Jesus look at me? How does he feel towards me in my sin and in my failure? Have this image just stamped on your mind and in your heart. He wakes up and he makes them breakfast. Who is Jesus Christ? 
He is the greatest friend that you could ever have. He stabs you in the back. I'm sorry, you stab him in the back. <laughs> I'm glad you guys caught that. You st <laughs> He's the greatest friend you could ever have. He's, he literally will stab you in the back. No, you could stab him in the back. And seriously, have, have this image. If, if there's nothing else you remember from John 21, get this image in your mind and in your heart of him making his friends breakfast, forgiving them. He says, let's talk. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that Jesus forgot about what had happened. Okay, as, he, as he's talking to Peter, as Peter's sitting there eating breakfast with Jesus, he's probably cold, right? Because, you know, it said he jumped in the water. And he's sitting there and he's feeling the warmth of this charcoal fire. And he's talking to Jesus and he's looking into his eyes. And as he's doing that, you, you know that he's probably remembering back to what had happened, right, just a few days before. If you read the account in Luke's gospel, Luke tells the story and says that Peter, he was standing next to a charcoal fire just like this. He was cold and he was warming himself while the trial with Jesus was happening. And as Jesus was being mocked, as he was being beaten, and then as he was being dragged away to the cross, it says that Peter and Jesus, they, they locked eyes right as Peter was denying him, right by the fire. And so now as, as Jesus is sitting there at the fire with Peter, he's, he's not only recreating the moment where they first met, saying, Peter, I still want you but he's also recreating the moment where Peter denied him. We'll read on and just notice these three repetitions in this next part to, to kind of reenact Peter's three denials. Verse 15, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And so he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him then a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so Peter, he's, he's grieved as he remembers this, as Jesus reenacts this for him. And what Jesus is doing here is he's not trying to embarrass him. He's actually trying to restore him. He's saying, Peter, you turned on me, but I'm still sitting here. I haven't turned on you. I want you back, Peter. I want you to follow me. He's saying, Peter, because I rose from the dead, your failure does not have to be final. I'll have the final word over your life. That's why I'm here. And it's become obvious at this point in the Gospel of John, if you've been tracking along with us, that, that Jesus loves us, right? He loves People, but what Jesus is doing now is he's giving Peter an opportunity to love him back. It's an invitation, a restoration. In Romans chapter 2, it puts it like this. It says that God, he's, he's rich in kindness and in patience towards sinners. 
he's rich in it. He's incredibly wealthy in patience and grace and kindness towards people that stab him in the back. And it says that his kindness, his patience, is meant to lead us to repentance. And so to put it another way, Jesus' heart, it, it's revealed most fully, most richly, most abundantly when we fail him. That morning after, that, that Sunday morning, when we fail him, his heart is actually most richly on display for us, how he feels about us in our sin, in our failure. And when we see how patient he's been with us, when we see how kind he's been to us, when we see his grace, it should actually pull us in, cause us to respond to him in love, to run back to him. That's what he's doing with Peter. And the biblical word for this is a word called repentance. Repentance. And this whole thing that Jesus is doing here with Peter, like it, it doesn't make God a pushover, right? To be patient and to just kind of like move towards us in our sin. Do you know how much strength it takes to forgive someone who's wounded you that deeply? You know how strong you have to be to be able to do what Jesus is, is doing here, what he did for all of us. Some of you do know. Some of you know the incredible strength it takes because there's people that you've had to forgive or people that you haven't forgiven because it would be too hard. It would be too costly to take the pain that they inflicted on you and then absorb it into yourself. That's why it takes strength to forgive. And so you know what it looked like for God to be patient and kind with humanity, right? You look to the cross, you look and you see Jesus hanging there, patiently enduring the pain, bearing the sins of the world. And we wonder every, every day, even as Christians, we still wonder how Jesus feels about us after we failed him. But here it is, case settled, right? The gospel of John, he's telling us he loves you. He wants you back. After your sin, after your greatest failure, he paid for that failure with his blood and he wants to restore you back to himself. Guys, this is someone worth following with the rest of your life, with your whole life, every day of your life. And if you do, the way that your life is gonna play out, your whole life story, it's gonna be this whole story of repentance, not perfection, but just a story of repentance. The greatest human lives that have ever been lived have all gotten there through this path of repentance. That's why Peter's story doesn't end here because he actually turns and he runs back to Jesus. And so here's just a couple of things that we can learn really practical about repentance. What it means to be a person who repents from now until the end. And the first thing is that guys, repentance, it's easy. It's not easy. Man, messing that up tonight. Repentance, it's not easy, but it's possible. Okay. It's not easy, but it's possible. We see that with, with Peter, like Jesus, he's basically helping him to remember his sins so that he can experience this repentance, but it's not an easy process to actually examine and own up to your sin. It's really hard. And this is why community can be so helpful. We see Jesus kind of helping Peter with this. This is actually one of the main things that we want to be available to all of you in connection groups. So we gather on a Thursday night like this, but then during the week, smaller groups of students get together and you're, you're trying to help each other repent. You're trying to walk through life with each other. You're trying to help each other confess sin and turn to Jesus. And I know that that is like a scary thing for some of you, especially if you've never done that before, just opened up about what's really going on in your life, what's not working. 
the answers that you don't have, the way that like you knew what to do and you did the wrong thing. Anyways, it's really hard to confess your sin, but I just, I dare you in your connection group, go to a connection group, be in a connection group. And as you confess your sin and it comes out of your mouth, watch everybody just lean in towards you as you do that. Watch them still be sitting there around the circle with you after you do that. Repenting isn't easy, but it is possible. It's available to you. The second thing we learn from Peter about repentance is that it's not pretty, but it's worth it. Okay, I'm seeing this, and uh, did you notice in verse 7, they're on this boat, right, and they see Jesus from off the shore, and, and Peter gets so excited that for some reason he, like, puts his coat back on before he decides to jump into the water, which I... I'm imagining, I think, I've kind of done this before, like that makes it harder to swim, not easier to swim. And so he's like, he sees Jesus and he's so excited to, even as the failure that he was, to, to run towards him, to swim towards him. So he throws the coat on and it says that they were like 100 yards offshore. And so I'm just imagining that like they, at this dramatic moment, he gets in there and it feels amazing for a second, but then you just realize that the boat is probably gonna get to the shore before Peter does. And so this like triumphant moment of swimming to Jesus. And he's probably just like left behind by them, like drowning in his, his coat. It's not pretty, right? It's messy. It's messy. It doesn't make us look awesome. Repenting does not, like it, it just never does. It just never works out that way. You never like elegantly repent. It's always just kind of this, this messy thing where you don't come out on the other side looking good, but God does. Jesus does. And the only thing, and I, I've just learned this from experience, the only thing messier than repenting is not repenting. Hiding your sin, concealing your sin, holding on to it. The salt company director at Iowa State, his name's Solomon Rexius, and he looked at this moment and said, we will either sink in our shame or we'll swim to Jesus. Those are the only two options. We're all sinful, we're all gonna fail over and over again, and your only options are to, to sink in your shame, and that's a total mess, or you can swim to Jesus and do this kind of ugly, messy thing called repenting, okay? It's not pretty, but it's worth it when you get to him. And then here's the last little thing that we can learn about, about repentance. It's not about payback, it's about grace. We see this in, in verse 12, right? He, when you wake up in the morning after the biggest failure of your life, Jesus is not waiting for you with kind of your plan of how you're going to do better or how you're gonna pay him back for what you did. He's waiting for you with breakfast. He's made breakfast for you. He's waiting for you with kindness and patience and grace. And I, I've just, like I've been thinking about this, I love this whole idea of like breakfast with Jesus. I just think even if you're a night person right now in college, in some way you need to have just this like regular time where you're sitting down with the Lord. You're sitting down with Jesus, breakfast with Jesus, just like letting, letting him talk to you, letting him minister to you, letting him be kind to you, letting his grace wash over you. There's a, this passage in Psalm 18 where it says that God's gentleness is what makes us great. It says, your gentleness made me great. That's one of the surprising keys to greatness. Surprisingly, it's the gentleness of God, letting God be gracious to you, letting Jesus serve you. He loves us and it makes us great. And so if you wanna be a person that overflows with love, if you wanna be one of those types of people, every day you need to slow down enough to let God just profoundly love you. There's no greater love than his. 
You can search the whole world, like that, there's a song we're gonna sing in the end that says this, you can search the whole world and you just will never find it, right? There's no comfort for your soul, that ache that you have in your soul, than to be loved like this by Jesus. But that's not the only thing that our souls want. At least that's not the only thing that my soul wants. My soul also longs for purpose. I don't just want comfort, I want a challenge. I want to be striving for something. I want to live and die for something that actually matters. And this is actually the invitation for Jesus, from Jesus for us as well. If you look at verse 17, it says, Jesus said to him, right, as he's restoring Peter, feed my sheep. Okay, Jesus, he's, he's not just restoring Peter to relationship. We talked about that, but he's also restoring him to his calling in the world. He says, Peter, if you love me, then go give that love away to others. Feed my sheep. This is Jesus putting Peter back into the game, right? He's, he's returned to his life as a fisherman because he thought he was too big of a failure to be used by God. And not only had he failed Jesus, but Peter, he had failed to live up to his own expectations, his own standards. He was a lot like us in the room. If you study the life of Peter in the gospels, he wanted to be great. He was ambitious. He even wanted to do something great for God. He and some of the disciples at one point got in like an argument over which of them was going to be the greatest. When Jesus gets arrested, Peter kind of has like a shining moment where he cuts off this guy's ear to try to protect Peter. But then Jesus is like, Peter, I'm telling you, this is like literally what I came to do, man. Like you gotta put the sword down. But then in his greatest moment of testing, as Jesus is on trial, Peter wimps out. He's a coward. He denies him. And so when Peter at the beginning of this, he says, I'm going fishing, he's saying, I have failed. I've failed God. I've failed myself. I'm going back to my old way of life. I'm just settling. He's, he's absolutely crushed by his failure. And as a college student, what, what you need to know is this is what happens when you spend your whole life trying to perform for an identity. Trying to do something out in the world that will make people tell you, you are someone who's valuable. Right, to make a name that is based on your accomplishments. When you live like this, the success, it goes to your head. You become prideful and arrogant. And the failures, they go to your heart. It breaks your heart. This is what's happening with Peter. But Jesus, he comes into his life and he's, he's restoring him not on the basis of Peter's success and accomplishments, but what's he restoring him based on? Their relationship, his love. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me first, then feed my sheep? Do you see what he's saying? saying, Peter, you don't have to perform in this world to matter. You just have to love me. What matters is that you love me. You don't have to have what it takes. You just have to rely on me. You don't have to give up on your ambition because you failed. You just need to give me your ambition. And there's a deep comfort here for all of us. The question that will define your life, that will give you an identity is not, what will you accomplish? What will you do to make people love and accept you? It's, will you love him? That simplifies things for me, at least. Will you love him? 
But in the midst of this comfort, okay, this comfort from Jesus, there is a challenge, okay? And it's, it's hard for us to hear at first, but I'm telling you, this is the challenge that our souls long to accept. Verse 18, Jesus follows this up and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then in parentheses, John adds, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus, he looks Peter right in the eye and says, Peter, your life is not going to be about you anymore. He says, Peter, it is an immature way to live your life, to just do whatever you want. That's what you did when you were young. You did whatever pleased you. You sought your own fulfillment and comfort was kind of your compass. Comfort at all costs. But he says, Peter, when you're old, maturity, true greatness in life, the life that is really life is actually to live for me, to be led by me for my glory. And he says, follow me. That's my invitation. My invitation to you, Peter, is that comfort will not be the highest value in your life. He's telling Peter that he's gonna die an uncomfortable death. If you read into what he's saying in, in verse 18 and 19, he basically says, Peter, like your, your arms are gonna be spread wide just like mine. And we know from church history that Peter was indeed years later crucified, persecuted and martyred for his faith. And this is the kind of thing that as a follower of Jesus, you kind of get to this point and it makes a lot of us wanna stop and not go any further. But deep down inside of us, there's something in this that just comes alive when we read that parentheses. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. What kind of death? Follow me. God has a plan for your life. You've heard that. And the plan is not that you would be comfortable. It's that you would glorify him. Okay? But what we're seeing here in, in this conversation with Peter is that the, the plan, you're not going to see it unfold in your life if comfort is your highest priority. Or, as we see next, if you live in a way where you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. Look what happens with Peter next in verse 20. It says, Peter, just as, just as Jesus says this like incredibly epic thing to him, look at, look at what Peter does. He turns and sees the disciple whom Jesus loved. There's John plugging himself again. Turns and sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So he sees John. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about what about this man? <laughs> like, that's what's going to happen to me. But what about, what about him? He's been following you too. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me, Peter. So that saying, it spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? Jesus has a unique and profound story for each one of us. He does. From before the foundation of the world, he planned out a story for you 
that is powerful. But that story is diminished when we try to live someone else's story, when we try to be somebody else. Hebrews chapter 12, it uses the metaphor of a race. It says that God, he has a race for each one of us to run. But in this race, competing with each other, comparing ourselves to each other, it actually slows us down and it actually gets us off track. Comparison and competition in the Christian life, it's actually something that cripples us from running our race. And so just one like massive piece of of advice and just deep work in your heart that we all need that you need, especially when you're in college, is don't spend your college years trying to figure out who other people want you to be. Also, don't spend your college years trying to figure out who you, deep down in your heart, want to be. Spend your college years trying to figure out who it is that God wants you to be. What race he wants you to run in this life. We say to Jesus, Jesus, what about them? You know, they've got the career, they've got the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the husband, the wife, they've got the skills. Jesus says, what is it to you? You, follow me. I've got a story for you. And when we do, when we follow Jesus, we find our place in the greatest story that has ever been told. Look at verse 24. So John is writing now and he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. This, he's saying this story about Jesus that I've told you, I, John, I'm telling you, this is true. Verse 25, now there's also many other things that Jesus did and were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And that is crazy. Okay, so what, like, what is John talking about? That, that'd be a lot. On, at one hand, you're like, I mean, John, I'm sure, I was just looking at a, a map today of how big the world is. Like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of real estate in this world. I'm sure that there could be enough space for all these books. There's a Christian counselor named David Powelson who helped me see what John's talking about here. And he says, you know, the many other things thing that Jesus says, the many other things that Jesus did, it's not limited to his three-year ministry but it includes the thousands of years of church history since that was written. It's a story that's still being written. Your story and my story are a story of what Jesus is continuing to do. Every little detail, every dramatic turn, our failures and God's triumphs. We've talked in this series how what God wants to do with your life is he actually wants to claim you Jesus died for you, he shed blood for you, and he wants to claim your life as a trophy of his grace that he can lift up into the universe and say, look what I did with this person. He doesn't want your story to be a tragedy, but a testimony. And the world cannot contain all of the books, of all of the stories, of all of the lives of every man, woman, and child that has said yes to that invitation from Jesus when he says, follow me. Salt Company, you get to be a part of the story that Jesus is writing. You have a part to play, like a unique way that only you can contribute in the story and glorify him. So stop trying to write a story with your life. Stop trying to be the hero of that story and get the applause. That is a pressure that none of us were meant to bear. Let God write your life into his story. 
with your whole life. Strive to point people to him because he's the hero. Live to give him the applause and the glory. That is a pressure that you were actually meant to carry and that is a pressure that will make you great. Most of us never really end up living because we never give ourselves to something or someone that is worth dying for. And what John has been presenting to us over and over in the Gospel of John is that if you've met Jesus, you've found that someone. You've found someone who's worth living for. You've found someone who, who died for you. There's no greater love. There's no better life that you could be a part of than what he offers you. And so let me just ask you in closing at the end of this series, have a moment of reflection with me. What is your page in the story gonna be about? Okay, you've got a lot of your life ahead of you. What is your page in the story gonna be about? What kind of death will you die for the glory of God? What kind of life will you need to lead leading up to that death? What will your life and your death say about God to the world? And I know those are big questions, those are, those are weighty questions. You don't have to have all the answers to that right now. You don't have to have your life all mapped out. But what you do need to do is when Jesus says, follow me, when he looks you right in the eye and he says, there is a role that I want you to play in the story that I'm writing. You need to take a step, a day at a time, a week at a time, a year at a time for the rest of your life. You need to follow him. When Peter saw Jesus in that boat, it says he put his coat on for some weird reason, jumped in the water and swam after him. And that's what we need to do too. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we have heard you this semester. Again and again, we've seen you intersect people's lives, unexpectedly just, just break in and Lord, you have surprised us with your insight into our lives. You have surprised us with how patient and kind and gracious you are to sinners like us and to people like us who, who can't seem to get it right, who, who have mixed emotions, who have things we can't seem to change. We, we have been surprised again and again by your patience with us. And Jesus, we've heard you call out to us, follow me, and, and we, we want to. God, help us all tonight. Help, help these students in the room, even as we kind of scatter over the winter, to hear that call and to take their next step in the story that you're writing in this world and with their life. And it's all for your glory that we pray. Amen.